The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Christ. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you reveal yourself today? Would you reveal yourself to us, draw us to you, and show us the way? that we might bow before you in worship and experience the joy of salvation. We pray this in your name, for your glory and honor, and for our good. Amen. Please be seated. So pretty much everyone knows the story of the wise men. It's laid out for us in nativity scenes and in Christmas pageants every year. And it appears to be relatively straightforward, right? Three kings from the east see a strange star hanging over Bethlehem, and they make their way to that distant village just in time to join some shepherds and a few farm animals celebrating Jesus on the night of his birth. Each king bears a different gift, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they stand with solemn attentiveness, waiting to present them to Mary at just the right time. As I said, it's all pretty straightforward, except, of course, that it's not. The story that actually unfolds in Matthew 1, it's different from what we think, and it's imbued with a far greater power than I think we imagine. The first surprise in Matthew 1 is that the wise men weren't actually there when Jesus was born. They were not actually there. So verse 1 says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And you may have noticed in verse 11 that when, when the wise men found Jesus, he was in a house, not in a stable or a cave. And we learn later in the chapter that Jesus may have been as old as two by the time the wise men arrive. And that's not the only misconception we have. Nowhere in this chapter, which is the earliest record we have of their visit, nowhere are we told how many wise men there were. A later tradition speaks of three men and gives them names, but that tradition is pretty sketchy. 
What we do learn from Matthew in verse 3 is that these wise men came with a big enough entourage that all of Jerusalem heard about their mission. So instead of three guys on camels, we should probably imagine a small caravan of exotic foreigners, both dignitaries and servants, pulling into Jerusalem after a nearly thousand-mile trip. Oh, and they weren't kings either. They were astronomers. Now, I know we just sang We Three Kings, and it's a great hymn, rich in theology. It's just not quite right on the three kings part. The word used by Matthew to describe these men is magi. It's, from, it's the word we get magic from. And it's a Persian loan word that refers to a special class of men who functioned as counselors to royalty. These men were basically astronomer priests who dabbled in a bit of astrology and served in the king's cabinet. These were important men. Their visit, it would have been sanctioned by the king that they served. So it's quite possible that they were sent as royal emissaries bearing gifts from one king to another. And that's where we notice another disparity between Matthew's story and our nativity scenes. The wise men didn't go to Bethlehem straight away. They went to Jerusalem. Now that actually makes sense. Jerusalem was the royal city. It was the place where you would expect a king to be born. But when he wasn't there, they had to ask for directions. And the directions that the wise men received they came from the pages of Scripture. And this is where I want to take us deeper into this story of the wise men. So we've had to debunk some of what we thought we knew in order to clear the deck for understanding the true significance of this incredible sequence of events, which can only be deduced by turning our attention fully to the story that Matthew tells and the biblical narrative that it's a part of. So if you're not already there, I want to invite you to in, open your Bibles to Matthew 1 on page 807. And I want you to take a look at the opening lines of this gospel. So Matthew introduces this story by, by writing, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The story of the wise men, which comes in chapter 2, it begins all the way back in Genesis with Abraham. So when God called Abraham, he made him a promise. I will bless you, he said, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is a big promise. And it's a promise that shapes the entire narrative of the Bible. As God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, occasionally succeed in being this blessing, but more often than not, miserably fail. So when Matthew introduces Jesus, he wants us to know that this is Abraham's heir. In other words, this is the man through whom God is going to keep his promises. This is the one who will bring God's blessing to every family in every 
nation. He's the king of the Jews and he's the savior of the world. Now what follows in chapter one is a somewhat stylized genealogy of Jesus that shows his royal lineage on the one hand and highlights the fact that some of his ancestors were foreigners representing the nations of the world. At the end of this chapter, his birth is ever so briefly described and we are told that he was given the name Jesus, which means savior. So that's the setup. And then comes chapter two. And here's how it begins. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Who are the very first people to turn up looking for Jesus? Well, they're foreigners, complete foreigners, who dabble in astrology and have come from the ends of the earth. Matthew, who wrote this gospel, was a Jew. And his audience, the people for whom he was writing, was made up mostly of Jews. By describing the mission of the Magi, Matthew is making a thrilling assertion, but he's also issuing a careful warning. And the assertion is this. Not only is this child the promised king who will save his people from servitude and sin, this is the promised blessing to the nations. By him and through him, God is keeping his promise to Abraham to be a blessing to every nation of the world. So I imagine Matthew might have had those opening lines of Isaiah 60 in his mind as he recounted the story of these wise men and how it fit into the broader story that God had been weaving among his people for millennia. Tim read it just a moment ago, and and Isaiah says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's, But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So Matthew's making an extraordinary assertion by telling this story. Jesus is the promised blessing to the nations. He's also issuing a careful warning. Do not be like Herod who opposed him, or the people of Jerusalem who ignored him. Learn from the Magi instead. Now, in order to understand this, I want you to to try to imagine the people of Argentina somehow missing the fact that their national soccer team just won the World Cup. And then I want you to imagine a delegation of Norwegians turning up on a private plane a few days after the World Cup final to congratulate the president of Argentina, who instead of being excited by the news was suspicious. And rather than going to congratulate the team himself, sent the Norwegians off to the home of Lionel Messi to see what they could find out. Meanwhile, The rest of the populace goes on with normal life, unwilling to believe that they actually won. I want you to imagine that because that's basically what's happening in Matthew chapter 2. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. 
and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So you, know, you may know already that Herod was a nasty piece of work. He had members of his own family killed in order to protect his rule. So it's no great surprise that he would greet news of another king in Judah with fear and suspicion. But what about the religious leaders of Jerusalem? Matthew tells us that they too were troubled by the news. And it's not just a few senior people, it appears to be everyone. The people of Jerusalem greet the news of their Savior with indifference. And they refuse to go see him for themselves. Instead, Herod sends the wise men off as if they're running an errand for him. Now, it's roughly a thousand miles from Persia to Bethlehem. It's only about five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. But which proved to be the longer walk? Well, it turns out it was the walk from Jerusalem. No one felt like going to Bethlehem to see what they could see, except for the wise men who had already come 995 miles. So verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them uh, uh, went until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, what a weird experience. <clears throat> what a weird experience it must have been for those wise men in Jerusalem to be greeted with indifference and suspicion. They must have wondered if they were crazy or just confused. But then as they made that short walk to Bethlehem, the star reappeared. Matthew piles on the superlatives to describe their reaction. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They weren't crazy after all. And when they found Jesus, Matthew tells us that they fell down and worshipped him. These are not the solemn figures of our nativity scenes standing silently at the manger with gifts in hand. These men, they fell down on their faces when they met the king. And we don't know exactly what they believed about Jesus. Matthew doesn't tell us that they repented of their ways and followed him as Lord, but what he tells us gives us all that we need to know. The right response to Jesus is joy and worship and sacrifice. And when you come to Jesus in this way, he changes the course of your life. The wise men didn't go back to Herod as instructed. Instead, 
they headed home, taking the good news of God's miraculous blessing with them every step of the way. That's the story. And as we take a step back from this story, I want to try to speak briefly to three different groups of people coming from different places this morning. So some of you, some of you are coming from Persia this morning. You're here or you're tuning in online out of curiosity or because a friend or family member invited you. The whole Christian thing, if you're honest about it, is just kind of strange. But something has drawn you to Jesus. And here's what I want to say to you. Keep walking toward Bethlehem and take a good long look at Jesus. Now, it would have been completely understandable for the wise men to turn around and to head home after the reception they got in Jerusalem. But they were intent on seeing Jesus for themselves. Now, I'll be honest with those of you coming from Persia. God's people, us, we can be unwelcoming and ill-informed at times. The church is likely to disappoint you just like the people of Jerusalem disappointed the Magi. But Jesus won't. Keep walking and keep reading. One thing to notice is that though the wise men were initially drawn to Jesus by an unexpected sign, the way that they ultimately found him was through the pages of Scripture. It was the prophecy from Micah that directed them to Bethlehem. You will only ever understand who Jesus is by reading the story of Scripture. So read the rest of Matthew's Gospel. Ask lots of questions. Get to know this child. He grew up and gave his life for you so that he could bring you the promised blessing of God. That's the first group. The second group is those who are already in Bethlehem, and that's most of us. You know the king. You've worshiped him and sacrificed for him, and you've experienced some of that joy of salvation. But you have friends or family who are living far away, outside of Bethlehem. And my word to you is this, don't give up hope. Remember the Magi were as far away from God as Matthew could have imagined. These were men who read the stars for a living, something that was forbidden in the Old Testament and mocked by the Jews. These wise men were not interested in Jesus, but God was interested in them, and he sent them a compelling sign, one that drew them into the orbit of God's people, God's word, and ultimately God's redeemer, Jesus. God can bring anyone within the reach of his saving embrace. And your first job, those of you living in Bethlehem, your first job is to pray boldly with faith that God will give a sign of his grace to those who do not know him. He can reveal himself to anyone in any way he chooses, so ask him to. Your second job is to stop fretting and to start thinking outside the box. What if Instead of trying to get your loved ones interested in God, you took an interest in the things that they already love and sought for signs of God in them. 
So God sent the Magi a sign in the stars because that's what they studied. He met them where they were in the things that already interested them. God was creative and he was bold while being faithful to himself. He didn't compromise the message of his grace through the medium that he used. And he can do the same today through us. So to those of you in Bethlehem with loved ones far away in Persia, be patient. It's a long walk. It may take time. Pray boldly. Think creatively. Love generously. And trust in God to provide. Last but not least, I want to speak to those of you who may be living in Jerusalem and not know it. So when Jesus was born, Jerusalem was filled with people who were highly religious but not truly converted. They knew their Bibles. They had a beautiful temple. They followed the rules, but they did not worship the king. Now, worship features prominently in Matthew's story. The wise men declare that they've come to worship the king. Herod facetiously states that he wants to worship him as well. And then when the wise men finally find Jesus, not only do they worship him, we're told that they fall down on their faces before him. That's the invitation. That's the invitation, and it's a dangerous one because worship changes the direction of your life. Those who worship Jesus are transformed by him and they are expected to obey him. This happens to the Magi who, having been warned not to return to Jerusalem, follow God's guidance and put their own lives at risk by heading home another way. Here's the thing about Jerusalem. It is tantalizingly close to Bethlehem, but it's not Bethlehem. Proximity to Jesus is not the same thing as worshiping Jesus, submitting to Jesus, and following Jesus. You can claim to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but if you're unwilling to submit to him and to obey him, then you don't really believe what you claim. It may be that you're living in Jerusalem. J.I. Packer was a great Anglican theologian, and he died just a couple of years ago. He grew up in England before the Second World War, and as a teenager, he became convinced of the basic truths of the Christian faith. Those convictions, however, didn't translate into change. It wasn't until he went to Oxford and attended a Christian meeting one evening that he was given an image that would change his life. As the speaker shared that evening, Packer had a, an image of himself looking through a window into a room where a group of people were at a party happily playing a game. And, and as he watched, he realized that he knew all the rules of the game and he understood exactly what was going on, but he was unable to join in because he was still outside in the cold. At that moment, he realized he needed to come in. Now, Packer had ticked all of the important boxes when it came to intellectual assent. He had a conception of the faith, he knew the rules of the game, but he hadn't given himself over to worshiping Jesus and to submitting to him as king. That evening, he gave himself over. He gave himself over to Jesus as Lord of his life, and it was only when he brought his whole life before him 
and said, you are in charge, that he stepped into the room and found the joy of new life. I have to say that the most frightening thing to me about the story in Matthew 2 is the indifference of those who lived in Jerusalem. They believed the scriptures, they followed the rules, they were proud Jews, but they weren't willing to walk to Bethlehem to see and to worship the king. They weren't willing to submit and be transformed, even though he was God's promised blessing to them and to the whole world. If you're living in Jerusalem this morning, please come to Bethlehem. It is the most important walk you can ever make. So this is our first morning in a new series of sermons called Sinners, Scoundrels, and Outcasts. Over the next few weeks, we're going to continue following Jesus through the Gospels to see how he treats those who are on the outside, from wise men to prostitutes. And we're going to see that no matter what category we may fall into, Jesus has come for us as the promised blessing of God, and he has invited us into a life of faith and worship. I hope that you'll join me on this journey as we worship the King together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us in all of the vulnerability of a child. Thank you for ministering to your people, for dying for our sins, for rising to glory. Thank you for ascending to heaven where you now reign over us and invite us into a relationship with you. We bring you our worship today. We ask that you would be Lord of our lives. We pray that you would reign over us and give us the joy of salvation. And we pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.